Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Wednesday Night Live coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. This is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor here and it's a great blessing to be able to reach out to my congregation as well as to our Saints Network family wherever the Lord has called you to serve. These are exciting times for us here as saints um, for many reasons but most um, timely of them is the fact that in uh, a week our gathering our fall gathering of our saints network will be occurring here in Dallas this gathering called the feast is going to be a, a very important time for all of us. We live in rather unusual days. I, I've heard, as I'm sure you have, the many and varied remembrances of what happened 20 years ago in the attack, not only on the Twin Towers in New York, but uh, the Pentagon and um, the, the terrible tragedy that entailed Flight 93, United 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and how much our lives as Americans and as citizens of the world have changed since that time. Uh, I, I believe that the Lord has been so good to us as saints in using us by his mercies and training us and teaching us being with us most most importantly his presence is more than anything but we now come to a point where we we're older we're more established we have walked with our Lord through incredible times but what is ahead for us and I believe that today is a significant day of evaluation here at the Father's Church tonight at 6 o'clock our local congregation is going to be convening to pray to walk the facilities and to welcome the presence of the Lord to do in this ingathering of saints what he has ordained for it to accomplish. That's always a special time. It usually occurs. In fact, I don't remember the last time we did not meet primarily to pray um, on the Wednesday evening prior to a seminar. But this is a wonderful time, and if you, wherever you are, if you'd like to join us at that time or at some point in asking God's blessing over the gathering, that would be a wonderful thing. But we'll be doing this tonight, and uh, I want to remind my congregation to be faithful to either be here or to pray wherever you are at that time. I also want to remind uh, all of the Saints family 
whether you're going to be able to attend here in person or whether you'll be attending virtually through live stream, please avail yourself of the opportunity. It's very easily provided to register. Uh, we don't charge you anything. I mean, this isn't a thing where I, and when I'm telling you to register, I know that there's a $100 fee at the end of the registration process. We just need you to register and to make sure that you denote whether you'll be here in person or whether you'll be here virtually. And uh, that will help us in preparation. And plus it also gives you a measure of um, fidelity with the gathering. Uh, maybe, maybe such a thing like that, as small as it may seem, will cause you to remember that we're actually meeting next week and we'd love for you to be a part of it. But be that as it may, please register. I want to turn our attention to something that Jesus said in the book of Revelation when he appeared to John while John was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. And we know, beginning in Revelation 2, that our Lord addressed the seven churches of, well, they're called Asia, but they were basically primarily uh, Turkey. And uh, every one of those churches were a part of the candlestick of the Lord, and every, every one of them had a unique set of callings and a unique set of obstacles. And the Lord exhorted them in, in different ways toward the same intended task of service for the kingdom. And if you were to look at uh, geographically where all of this occurred, you would see that little island of Patmos in the Mediterranean and then almost directly across uh, when you come to the, 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 the land of Turkey, Ephesus was right there. And then in somewhat of a, uh, a circular pattern going clockwise, you have the remaining six churches that proceed to the north and then swing to the northeast and then come back around toward the south. So it's a very specific pattern, and it was very consistent with the, the geographical outlay of where John was at that time and what God was doing in that land. Now, we've studied a lot about Ephesus. There's no need in retelling those things that we've shared over the past few months and what we commonly know. But I will just say that Ephesus was known as a, a headquarters, as it were, of um, the production of demonic fetishes and idols. It was really known for that. Uh, the primary 
the primary demon they worshipped was either Artemis or Diana and there was a massive temple built there which was one of the seven wonders of the world there was a massive um, amphitheater we, we know that Paul came there in Acts 19 and found a group of uh, believers who had been following basically the the the, uh, the teachings of John the Baptist which was a very active type of belief and the Holy Spirit was then imparted to them and they spoke with other tongues it's a wonderful story Paul loved going there there was uh, there was a very strong group of believers there who were moving in the depths of the things of the Spirit Paul wrote to them about their ministry in the heavens, their current ministry in the heavens, not the sweet by and by, but something they were doing right then. He wrote to them about their spiritual armor. He spoke, wrote about spiritual warfare. He wrote about the structure of the demonic realm. And for these kinds of things to be written to a group of people, it would say that these folks were moving in some very important ways in the kingdom so um, we do have record that this was a very seismic area in fact um, basically uh, earthquakes destroyed that ancient city and between that and the silt accumulation from various river flows Ephesus was basically removed from the uh, the hub of modern society uh, we we also recognize that there there were a lot of things that happened that are apocryphal uh, perhaps uh, one of the most notable ones and this again is apocryphal was when supposedly this same John walked into Ephesus and went to the temple of Diana and God shook that place and basically destroyed it we don't know whether that really happened or not it's a nice story but the point is is that this city basic, basically vanished until archaeological digs uncovered a lot of the relic this place is still known for earthquakes and you can read about them online. You can hear stories by people who live there of what it f feels like to be in an earthquake in, in Ephesus or what was Ephesus. And so <clears throat> this, uh, this area went from being a hotbed of early Christianity and a front line of battle between light and darkness to basically being a a vanished archaeological wonder and I think that is very interesting I I don't think those people blamed any of that on global warming it just happened as I suppose many things on this earth have happened and continue to happen but the writing that
John transcribed from what Jesus said to them, the first church that was mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 is, is really an instructional piece of exhortation for all of us. Because I, I believe that we can find ourselves in every one of these churches. There are principles involved in serving God as a, an extension of his candlestick where we are as those sons of the anointing that Zechariah speaks about to um, continue to fuel the showing forth of the light of the Lord. I, I think that we could, because every one of these churches was said to have a, a candlestick identity and an angel assigned to it. I believe that in our day, the outposts of the saints are commensurate with this same divine strategy. And so we, we should look and see what Jesus commended and what he lamented as he praised and warned these churches. I've said this in the past about my life. You know, I was born... Uh, later in my parents' childbearing years, I had four siblings who were before me, and uh, so as the baby of the family, I would watch. You know, I didn't do it on purpose. I just observed what I should do and what I shouldn't do if I wanted to stay out of trouble. And there were a lot of examples of that, believe me. Uh, I think that we can benefit to a similar strategy by looking to see what this powerful church did and what they didn't do. What brought the, the blessing of the Lord, but then what brought disfavor. So let's look at Revelation chapter 2. Let's just read these six verses and then we'll talk about them briefly. This is going to be an abbreviated time today. And... Um, We'll be having a prayer primer later in the day on Facebook, and then, of course, our people will come to pray here in Dallas. But in Revelation 2, verse 1, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience, and how you cannot bear them which are evil, and you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not and found them to be liars. It's a lot of that today. And has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove the candlestick out of his place, except you repent. But this you have going for you. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There's a lot of stuff here. Uh, we're going to talk about the progression of works and labor and patience and what it means to bear 
because that's a significant progression that's very clear for us to see. But we find that these Ephesians were really serving the work of the kingdom. And the Lord acknowledged this. They stood against false apostles, and that's simply some person or some group that comes in and says they have a divine word from God, but they're really lying. They're either lying because they're misrepresenting a message, or they're lying because they they want people to believe their apostles for some reason, and they really don't have a message that is apostolic in quality. Sometimes I think people call themselves apostles nowadays just because it's the, the hip thing to be called in Christianity. And there have been cycles of this over the years with various names that have been attributed to people. But we also see that he says, you've stood against the Nicolaitans. This is somewhat of a nebulous term, but I think it's very clear what it means. The, the way that people are overcome, because Nico means to be, uh, to be an overcomer. To overcome the people is what Nicolaitan means. And this is mindsets. This is the madness of crowds. This is what whatever is sweeping through that people jump on the bandwagon is. You know, the Lord hates that. He says he does. Now, there's something to be said for momentum. There's something to be said for the effects of peer pressure. But for the most part, in my time on earth, I have seen so many of these Nicolaitan movements rise up, not only in society, but often in the church. And they come up and they burn brightly for a time, and people flock to it like moths to a candle. And then it's gone. And you think, to what end did this thing benefit anybody? Why does the Lord hate that? Because he wants something that's lasting. He values patience. He values commitment. He values taking a stand when everybody else is kicking at your stand. He values those that would be as a remnant. He values those that are committed regardless of what the public outcry might be. And this is totally different from the way most of society operates and certainly different from the way usually the church operates. I've been in the church. I know what it is. What's the latest thing? Let's run here. Let's run there. Lo, here is Christ. Lo, there is Christ. And the Lord doesn't really appreciate that. He likes those who walk by faith and not by sight. He likes the Abraham mentality that will walk with God, or Enoch, who will walk with God, and or Noah, who will obey the Lord and stand firm regardless of what society is saying. So the Ephesians had this going for them. They were a litmus test and a great stand against false apostles, and they also stood strong against what... Uh, the, the common mentalities that would arise among people might have been. 
So what does the Lord say to them? Well, let's look at two progressions, and we should learn from this. The first is, it says, it, it says these words. It says, you have works, you've labored, you have patience, you do not bear with those who do evil. And then it comes back and says, you have borne, same word, you have patience, you have labored, and you have, um, you have not fainted. So it's like he starts off by saying what they have done, and then it says it commends their qualities in those same facets. Their works, their ergon where they apply their energy, where they choose to put their shoulder to the wheel, uh, their labor. This is uh, uh, kopos, and, and it, it really means to not just put energy in, but have a, uh, a, a stratagem of what we're going to do, and we're going to commit to do spe specified work. We're going to have patience. You know, we've studied about the patience of the saints, which also is addressed here in the book of Revelation. They're willing to abide and to stay under what God has called them to be and to do. And then it says that they would not bear, they would not labor in establishing or support a base or to truly uh, labor for the establishment of an evil kingdom that's important so you have works you have specified labor you have commitment to abide and you say that you're not going to establish evil and then the Lord goes back through he visits that not bearing again by saying that you do bear but they establish a base for the kingdom you do have patience they have stood faithfully they've abode in the place God has assigned them you have labored they have done specific works and you've not fainted your your energies have been managed and you've not grown weary in that and stopped. So with this great commendation of their of their of their energies and their commitment and their standing against false apostles and standing against the, the error of the Nicolaitans, what could this church possibly have done wrong? Well, the Bible says they left their first love. Aphiemi. They let go this. They disregarded it. They abandoned it. They started to diversify their passion. And they started spreading it around. And when you spread around passion, you usually don't accomplish what passion is really there for. You know, when people have a passion for a specific thing, for a specific ideal, for a specific person even. 
They can accomplish great things. But when you begin to dumb down that, when you deprioritize, when you spread it out, it loses its efficacy. Just like a diluted element, like a diluted remnant. To a remnant is a residue of of high quality. When you when you dilute that, it then becomes it's the same it's the same element but in a diminished effectiveness and quality. So they left the passion. It says that they needed to remember where they had fallen from. Fallen is uh, to be driven from course or to lose effectiveness. Basically, these two words, left the first love and fallen, they're different words, but they, they basically communicate the same idea. And then the Lord says some, some really unique things. Well, all of these are unique. But he says, if you don't remember, memnos, the place where you were driven from your course and lost your effectiveness. And if you don't make a 180 and get back in line and do the, the first works, to do the, the things that you know are essential, I'm going to come to you quickly. This is takis. It's a derivative of takos, which means suddenly. You know, if in our life, if we say something is tacky, that means that it was just done really quickly. It was just kind of spit and paper stuck on the wall. I mean, it's there, but it's it's really not quality. And 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 it's whatever the person has done was done so quickly that you think, well, you didn't even put any time in that. Now, the Lord is not indicating that he's going to do a half job, but he's emphasizing the quickness, and, and he, will, he will come quickly and will remove the candlestick out of its topos. What does remove mean? It may not mean what you think it means. If you look at the way this word is used... In the New Testament, it has more to do with a shaking, an empowerment, a mobilization. One of my favorite passages where this word is used was when Paul was contesting with the Stoics. And he said, in him we live and move and have our being. We used to sing that as a chorus. But don't know whether Paul did or not. But we, we, uh, we see that same word. So it doesn't just mean, you know what? I'm going to take that away from you if you don't behave. There's a shaking and there's a, a vitality that's evident here. Now, what could this mean in regard to the candlestick? The, well, the candlestick was placed in a, a location, a topos of God's choosing. It was an ignited point of divine service in a strategic location of God's choosing, which undoubtedly 
is commensurate with what he did uh, at the um, uh, the foundation of the world when the earth was created. And so this placement was made to move. It was made to have be vital, to be vibrant. It was made for this purpose of showing forth the light of God in his ways. And so somehow Jesus says to me, this is just my opinion in light of the word that's used, I'm going to do something there. And I, I love you and I appreciate what you've done and, and the, the great things that in obedience to me you've been able to accomplish through my power and my direction your calling is going to be done whether it's by you or not is the issue that candlestick is going to move and have being and and it's going to manifest the glory of the kingdom but I'm going to come quickly I'm giving space and you're either going to do what's supposed to do or I'll find someone who will now I don't know how that I don't know how that works. I, I, I don't know how to I don't know how to speak about what we said at the very onset of this broadcast that <laughs> Ephesus is basically non-existent now. So where's the candlestick? Where's the star? Where's the vitality of it? These are big questions. And the easiest thing to say would be, well, this was just allegory. This was just, it really wasn't a tactical word. It was just all poetic. I don't believe that for a moment. See, that's usually the tactics used by by uh, lukewarm theologians who don't want to be challenged. If you can throw something off as just a myth or a story or a word that was used for the moment, but it really doesn't apply to us today, then that absolves you in your thinking of any kind of responsibility for that topic. You see that throughout lots of, lots of higher criticism uh, in theological studies. I would only think that this was an area during the time of the early church where obviously, you know, you have the synagogue of Satan, you have the seed of Satan. It's, it's, it's the Lord mentioning this. This was an outpost. Uh, it was a theater of battle. It was important for the flow of what the church would become and the spread of the church in conjunction with what Jesus said to the uttermost parts of the world. And I think that the work of the candlestick continues, but it is a moving and it is a vibrancy. Um, I, I believe that we today have responsibilities as the people of God, as his saints. We're functioning as Zechariah spoke, as those who are responsible to minister to the Lord on behalf of his candlestick to to be those ones that bring forth the oil 
the sons of the anointing again from Zechariah for the candlestick and I believe that that it is a vibrant moving thing the Ephesians could have continued they could have remained faithful I think I think the point for them is that during those times of the early church obviously they fulfilled a significant role in the ongoing outflow of the development of the kingdom of God on earth my question for all of the saints is as we approach this seminar where do you think you are in this you've done some wonderful things for the Lord I'm not commending you overtly I'm just reading the box score I know that you've worked I know that you've done strategic labor I know you've shown patience I know you've stood against evil and you've stood against false prophecies for the most part you've stood against false apostles you've you've tried to withstand the momentum of idiocy and the Lord has used you in that only we can evaluate have we let go or disregarded or abandoned our priority of passion for him have we been driven off course or lost our effectiveness as an individual I think these last two years have tested that and the Lord is ready to move afresh and anew his candlestick is going to move and when it does he's coming quickly do you want to be a part of that? Or are you cashing it in? Only we can ask ourselves that. I, I, I know what it feels like to experience what Jesus mentioned here about fainting, being worn, what Daniel spoke about the saints and the enemy's desire to wear them out. I know what it feels like to see trusted brethren go away I know what it feels like to to want to go to war and think well half my team's not here and I know what it feels like to have the enemy say why don't you just give up why don't you stop the old Pentecostal adage well it's time for someone else to come and do it we need to stay keep living as long as we're alive and keep moving on behalf of the Lord because when the Lord gets ready and he's ready to move this great move of the spirit that is on the doorstep it's going to come suddenly and it's not like so many Pentecost I used to joke about the Pentecostal evangel you can read about what God did eight weeks ago every Sunday morning let's be those that are according to what Amos wrote are with the Lord and before he does anything he tells us before God will do nothing unless he first tells his servants his friends I want to be that don't you we you were called to that stop trying to process your effectiveness by what CNN says or what some Yahoo that left the movement and now is following some progressive nonsense says don't weigh yourself on on whether anybody else is going you know Joshua said who is on the Lord's side let him come over unto me Elijah said you know what 
I'm, I'm going forward. Well, can I do this first? Do whatever you're going to do. I'm going forward. Keep moving. And it's time for us as we come to this seminar that God is going to impart things. He's going to be, he's going to be doing a significant spiritual work. It's time for us to take an evaluatory look and say, yes, I'm privileged to have walked with the Lord in these things. He commends me for them. And that's all I really need is the commendation of the Lord. I'm not looking for rewards or the accolades of people. It's what the Lord thinks. The Lord still thinks these things. But where are you in this? He says, remember. He says, repent. He says, see any area where you've let go or disregarded or abandoned or <clears throat> where you've been driven from course and perhaps lost your, your agenda, your effectiveness. Are you following the first love? It doesn't mean you have to do the same things you did when you first felt the first love. That's gone. Do you realize that? That's gone. But the Lord is here. His ways are here. The things he's walked with you in are here. So keep walking in them. You're not the same person you were 25 years ago. I don't want to be that person. You're not the same person that you were when the towers fell 20 years ago. Hopefully, we're stronger in the Lord. We have more precise training. We've got experiences in Him that are invaluable. It's a time for reflection, to do the first works, to follow the first love. And so we pray for that in our individual lives. We're going to be praying tonight and the rest of this week for what the Lord wants to accomplish in this appointed time next week, whether you're here in Dallas or whether you're virtual. I only ask that you take this seriously. This is not just another gathering. This is a divine moment. And so it's a call to prayer. And with that, I'm going to conclude today. See, I told you it was going to be abbreviated, and it was. Of course, I'm not done yet. Don't forget to register for the seminar on the saintsnetwork.net. And please be in prayer. We're believing for everything that God wants to do that it will be done so that we're pleasing to him and that we'll be ready for what is ahead may God bless you thanks for joining today and until um, we meet at the throne in prayer or the next time we're able to be together God bless and goodbye